Hey everyone, this is Frank, producer of the SNL Nerds, among other awesome shows on the Nonproductive Network. Uh, about halfway through today's episode, you're going to hear the audio drops down quite a bit for Darren and their guest, Kevin Israel. Um, that's because of a ghost. Yeah, every time you hear an audio problem like that, it's because of a ghost. Right? So, uh, you know, just deal with it. And uh, maybe even head over to patreon.com forward slash nonpro, uh, you know, tip tip the, the, the show creators a little bit and see if we could afford to pay uh, producers to fix uh, the audio problem. No, wait, I mean, exercise the ghost problems in our virtual studio so that uh, issues like this don't happen in the future. But yeah, it's going to be a good episode overall anyways. Again, about halfway through, ghost. Thank you. Dave from New Jersey, it's the SNL Nerds, the show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. And I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. Hey, Darren, how you doing? How's it going, good sir? Happy Thanksgiving, good sir. Happy, yeah, uh, we, we have had a Thanksgiving since we have last talked on this podcast. And since we've last talked in life, Darren and I, we do not speak to each other in real life. Yeah, uh... People think we're very close, you know, like a Burton Ernie, Hall and Oates situation. It is not that. This is all business. No. We come here, we do the podcast, and then we leave each other's, we're out of each other's lives imme- immediately as soon as the mics turn off. Yeah, we, we curse each other's names, we spit on the ground. It's, uh, there's a lot of tension in the air, is what I'm saying. Yes. Very uh, Johnny Marr and Morrissey, some might say. Sure, sure. Um, but we we're able to alleviate a little of that tension this week because we have a special guest, and it is a returning guest. This might be the fastest we've had a guest return to this program. Yeah, this is fantastic. Uh, you know him, you love him. He was here when we talked about the first Ghostbusters film. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, returning guest, Mr. Kevin Israel. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. You you are like our Ghostbusters go-to guy now. So, I mean, we 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 wanted to cover Ghostbusters Afterlife. It was opening on a week when we still had a new episode of SNL, so we couldn't cover it immediately. But we said, next break week, let's just go ahead and dive in and do Ghostbusters Afterlife. And who better to have back than Mr. Kevin Israel? I've always wanted to be a go-to for something, so I'll take it. Yes, this is this is yeah. it, sir. Your time to shine. <laughs> yes, and and Kevin's uh, movie podcast, uh, by the way, is uh, called "Gutting the Sacred Cow," where he he and another Kevin and their guests they go through movies and they argue whether a movie is overrated or not. Hence the title, "Gutting the Sacred Cow." Am I, was that a decent description, Kevin? Mm-hmm. Yes. But just to be clear, because for some people, people for some reason, people blame us for the guttings. Our guests pick the movies, and they argue why certain movies that they feel are overrated. It's not us. So people will always say to us, I can't believe you don't like Rocky. No, Kevin Goatee and I might love Rocky. It's our guest who's coming on to make their case for why they think Rocky is overrated. And then we argue back, or, you know, we argue, argue for or against, depending on, on our own opinion. So... Uh, it's up to our guests to pick the movie. But yes, other than that, you're spot on. Mm. 
All right. All right. Okay. So, yeah, uh, I actually, mean, Kevin, I'm sure that uh, will be very valuable for anyone who's who listens to the gutting the sacred cow and then comes onto this podcast to hear how that podcast works. <laughs> Sounds good. I love it. Uh, all right. So Kevin, I had a quick question about the gutting the sacred cow. So you say that, you know, the, your guests pick the movie and depending on what movie it is, you and Kevin uh, either argue, you know, for or against it. Is there any, has there ever been a time where a movie's come up where you're sort of, kind of either, in, not indifferent to it, but maybe on the fence, like you could uh, go either way. It's like, well, this movie's all right, but I can see it's not, maybe not the best. Oh, yeah, totally. There's been, you know, there's been tons of movies that we've watched and we've, we're 107 episodes in, 100 and something like that. And uh, there is, there's been a, a lot of movies that, first of all, that I that we watched that I didn't really want to watch, you know, uh, and I had specifically yeah. hadn't seen. Um uh, the first one that comes to mind, and I know every sci-fi geek is going to just throw me on a, a rail and tar and feather me, but uh, 2001 Space Odyssey was a movie I was never really had any interest in seeing, and I watched it, and I didn't particularly like it, um, and I definitely didn't like it as much as people give it credit for, but um, uh-huh. so yeah, so that that was one that you know I watched and just wasn't interested in watching again. Um, yeah, what were some others? I saw, you know, I liked Saw when I saw it. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> uh, but uh, I never wanted. I I never really had a, a desire to watch it again, and so we did that. So there, there are no. But again, our guests picked the movie, so we, you know, we we suck it up, watch the movie, and then you know discuss our points. And we found, and unfortunately, the movie, the the podcast is really ruining movies for me a little bit because I I now mm-hmm. I just start to pull apart every movie. Um, so, you know, I, I, I hate when, you know, somebody picked Batman two for, for example, um, Batman returns that is, yeah. and I remember loving Batman returns and on rewatch, oh, it didn't hold good. up. It is not, not yeah. a good movie. <laughs> no, but I remember, and I, I remember it being great. I remember really, I love, I, you know, I loved Keaton's Batman. I, I thought that movie was great. And on rewatch, I was like, wow, this isn't good. And yeah. so I, that, I, that I, I would have rather lived with the myth in my head than the reality that it wasn't a good movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's been a while since I've seen it. That can do a number on you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Segway. Nostalgia is a uh, big part of the movie that we are covering this week. If you've read the title of this podcast episode, or if you've read the description, uh, you know that we're going to do Ghostbusters Afterlife. This is the uh, 2021 sequel to the 1984 classic Ghostbusters. And it, it it more or less leapfrogs over Ghostbusters too. I don't think they, they really referenced completely. Ghostbusters too much, if at all. Not really. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I, I don't hear any Vigo references in this one. Uh, yeah, but the, uh, yeah the, the Vigo was just like, uh, just not in it. Uh, no. But yeah, this movie directed by uh, Jason Reitman, Ivan's son, written by Jason Reitman and Gil Keenan, uh, who's like primarily a director. He directed uh, Monster House and a few other films. Hmm. So, but yeah, I guess he's buddies with um, with uh, Jason Reitman, so he got the writing gig for it. 
And uh, yeah, it just came out a few weeks ago in November. Ooh, my, my voice cracked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, I think it's doing all right, right? I believe it was like the number one movie uh, both weekends in its release. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I believe so far it's doing uh, well money-wise. I'll, uh, I'll see if I can pull, pull up the numbers. Well, you don't have to get that. specific. But, uh, yeah, so far it's... Yeah. I was just uh, but yeah, yeah. So far, it's doing pretty well. Well, good. Uh, no, but but it's so far it's doing pretty pretty well. Not too shabby. Pretty, um, pretty. So yeah, this movie pretty, pretty good. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So th- I mean, this film was supposed to come out last year. Uh, we were gonna talk about it last year. We had uh, everything yeah, all set up, but then of course, then yeah. the world. Yeah. Then the world died, and uh, mm-hmm. now now it got pushed back. It was supposed to come out this summer, then it got pushed back to November. Um, yeah. yeah, so like we were, I, I've been waiting, I, I was been waiting with uh, with bated breath for this one for quite some time. Uh, I mean, well, first going, like uh, both of you guys, like how did you feel about seeing this movie? Were you really anticipated for it? Like when you saw the trailers, did I get you hyped up for it? I mean, what was your mindset uh, before uh, going in to see this film? Kevin, we'll Well, so I've been, I've been, I've been preparing for this question, and I came up with an analogy that's going to be terrible. Oh, oh, so we love terrible analogies on this podcast. (laughs) Good. So watching this movie was like making plans with a really good friend from high school who you haven't seen in years, and you Uh get together, and at first you're having a lot of fun, and you think, "Wow, this is great," just like old times. And then towards the end of your, 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 your meetup, you start to realize, oh, this guy is a conspiracy nutcase. I'm not having the greatest time. I don't think I want to talk to him anymore. And you leave wishing you only had the first half of the experience and not the second half. That's how I felt about this movie. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I, was, saying this- I was looking at this movie with like sort of a mixture of anticipation and not dread, but like apprehension is probably a good word because I mean, we like all of us love the original Ghostbusters. It's a comedy classic and we, we have a great deal of affection for that movie and those characters and that, and that world. And unlike the 2016 remake, they were, actually revisiting the continuity of the original film. And, you know, that's a tricky thing to do and make a sequel like this many years after the last one, because the last uh, Ghostbuster movie was like 1989. So we're, we're going like over uh, 30 years. So that's, so that's a long yeah. time ago, you know, Darren, what right. about you? Uh, well, I uh, I was I was pretty pumped to see this. Uh, I I saw the trailers, made it look good. Uh, I remember, uh, I think you mentioned on on uh, Facebook, and I mentioned it too uh, on the last time we talked about Ghostbusters in the first one, where you said it looks good, but it looks like it's leaning more towards the drama than the comedy. Yeah. Like it looks mm-hmm. like it's going to be more of a Goonies, Stranger Things type of film than an actual comedy which I know gave you sort of pause and a little apprehension. But even with that, it, it did look good. I know a lot of people were kind of wary about this because of the 2016 Ghostbusters. 
and how that turned out and that whole uh, debacle. But then I, ke- I kept seeing videos about Jason Reitman saying, no, we're taking good care to make sure we stay true to the to the original, stay true to the vision, stay true to everything. And like I think the fact that uh, Jason Reitman is directed this, uh, the son of Ivan, and, you know, he was there. He was a kid on the set of the original Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2. Like, he, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of um, like a really, like, you kind of trusted him to do what's best for the film. Because, like, it's, and, so, and, it's such a part of his family. Yeah. And also, like, Jason Reitman, he's a, he's a great filmmaker in his own right. He doesn't make the exact same style of movies as his dad, but I've liked a lot of uh, the Jason Reitman films that I've seen, like Up in the Air, I think is a brilliant film. Um, so I, I felt like the franchise was in good hands. And it's also a testament that they got, I, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say, they, they got all three of the surviving Ghostbusters back. Uh, that they did, that they did. And that's what everyone wanted to see. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll get there. We'll get to that. Yeah. So we're, we're um, going to, um, because this is like a new movie, we're not going to go through it scene by scene the way we often have in the past. We're just going to kind of discuss it uh, just more in a freewheeling way. And uh, we're going to keep yeah. it spoiler free at the beginning. And then after a certain point, we're going to get into spoilers. So, uh, like, so overall, how did you like it? it? Kevin, it sounds like you were lukewarm on the movie at best. Yeah, you know, and I don't I, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be spoiler free about this, but the Yeah. I agree completely with what you said about the the trailer. So the trailer this was a this was a a comedy movie. The original was a comedy first and a science fiction slash horror movie mm-hmm. second, I think. And yeah. the trailer when it was released, you didn't really get too much comedy out of it. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a lot no. of ha ha, there was a lot of visuals. And you knew there were going to be, you know, you sort of felt like there was a nod to the original, but you weren't sure. And then I think, I think the producers, and I don't know if they had it planned, but I think the producers got that feedback. And so then they released the trailer that was just Paul Rudd in the, in the Walmart um, uh-huh. with the, with the mini Stay Puft marshmallow. Stay puffed. And when yeah. you saw that, yeah, right. And you, and when you saw that, it wasn't really clear if that was just made for a trailer or if that was something. At least I didn't. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if that was just a trailer, yeah. you know, made for like a, t- a teaser, or if that was actually something in the movie. Because in a way, I was like, "Ugh, are they really just going to be going back to all the old gags?" And was it just going to be you know fan service and nostalgia? And yeah, then like the, the next, right, right, exactly, and then. The next trailer came out and they and you saw a little more and you got the idea. I think they showed a little bit of what looked like Gozer's hand coming out of the well and they showed the the hell dog, the demon dog, and that's where I really started to get concerned because I was like, "Oh boy. They're really so mm-hmm. this is going to be a return of Gozer and this is going to be fully rehashing the original story." So, going into the movie, I was sort of prepared for all of that. Um but I definitely didn't feel this this movie. I felt that this movie was more of a almost a reboot to bring in a new audience that the original movie wasn't targeting. The original movie was targeting adults, you know, teenagers to adults with comedy and with horror. This movie felt like a YA movie targeting tweens 
who then they can carry through. It was like a, it was like a business decision. They're like, well, if we want an audience, we need to start them young and then we'll evolve them as we build this franchise. And that's mm-hmm. what I felt this movie did. And it did it without the adult comedy and the adult humor of the original Ghostbusters. So for me, that was one of the first reasons it fell short in a lot of ways because it wasn't the humor that I was expecting. It wasn't the chemistry. There were there wasn't a lot of quotable moments in this. But there were almost no quotable moments in this movie where Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters, is nothing but quotable. Um, yeah. And so yeah, so I I, I definitely came away disappointed. But again, it was like I was I was enjoying it while I was there, and then like towards the end, I was like, what, did I really enjoy this, or did I just enjoy reliving this? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Darren, Darren, how I about can you? See that. Um, I think I felt pretty similar to Kevin. Um, while I did enjoy, I did enjoy a lot of it. Um, I would say most of my gripes with this film come towards the end, which we'll get into later. I can't talk about it without spoiling it. But like right. towards the end, I was like, I don't know if that was the right way to go. But I mean, leading up to that, I will admit, it's not, there are funny parts in it. There are a lot of great acting in it. It isn't, the beginning parts, you know, the parts that I really like, it, it's not at all like the any of the Ghostbusters movies. It is a little bit more, you know, serious and toned down. Um, but there are a lot of funny parts in it, like with the kids, uh, you know, cracking jokes and whatnot. Um, it is. It did have more of a Stranger the Stranger Things Goonies feel, like I like you know, like we thought it would, and I did enjoy it. I I, I was enjoying the beginning part. Um, I didn't expect um, the uh, McKenna Grace to be like the focal point of the entire movie, which is another thing. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I thought she was a great performer. I thought she was really like, phenomenal. Um, I I really like her. Movie, I, I, yeah. Right. Right. Well, I mean, well. Um, again, I can't say without spoiling, but we'll get into it later. But I thought she was, she she really carried this whole film. Like it, it was really her film, and I I did I wasn't yeah. expecting that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I did like the film. I you know there were uh, like a ton of nods to the original films. You know, uh, uh I, I guess I didn't spoiling it, but like uh, when the glove box opened and the Twinkie falls out, I was like, all right, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> there was a lot of like you know big winks towards the 80 early 84 movie um so i was enjoying myself but yeah that last part i was like mm, i don't know man but like overall I, I i thought it was good that yeah was good. i i would say i enjoyed the movie um it definitely feels like it takes place in the same world in the same continuity as the original ghostbusters but at the same time it's not the same type of movie it's Kevin, like you said, like the original Ghostbusters, it really hits the ground running. It's a pretty rapid fire movie, and it's it's got a lot of funny moments because it's more of an outright comedy. This one is more of a suspense or or spooky type film, and it's a real slow build. But I didn't mind it. I I enjoyed that, and I think it's very well done on its own terms. And and there were some things that they did that I thought I was like, oh, you know, that's really cool. I could see them doing that type of thing or having that type of thing in one of the original Ghostbusters movies. Like, like they, I don't think it's a big spoiler because you, you see it in some of the trailers. They they get the Ecto-1 out of storage and they're driving around in it and they've got like a, a, a jump seat, like a, a shooter 
seat. And I was like, that's a really cool idea. And that's, that's something I could see the original Ghostbusters doing, even though we don't have that in either of the original movies. So I thought that was really cool. And, uh, and yeah, Darren, I I really liked, uh, I I liked the, the actors uh, in it. Um, You know, I, I thought it, the, the movie mainly focuses on the kids but I thought um, none of them were like real annoying kid actor types. Like, cause a lot of times when you see a movie that's focusing on kids, they can be real like, eh, I'm, aren't I cute and adorable and I'm wise beyond my years. And, and I didn't really feel that in this movie. They all feel felt like genuine kids to me, which I thought was nice. Right. No one was like all overly precocious. Or anything like that. Exactly. Exactly. It was. I mean, it was sort of like the Goonies, but it not not quite. It wasn't. You know, there wasn't anything like you know. Oh, I we just put the statue's penis on upside down, so now it looks like he has an erection. Well, you know, there isn't anything like that. Right. They they act more like there, the there, real there was no kids truffle. Right. There was no truffle shuffle. Exactly. Exactly. No truffle shuffle. So. Um, yeah, because a lot of times in, in movies, especially these types of movies, like a little of the kid characters can go a long, long way. And I didn't get sick of any of these kid characters, which I, I consider like a, a big triumph for this type of movie. Fascinating. I did not I, hate the children nearly as much as I usually do. <laughs> I the 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 little boy whose name was Podcast, um, who was who they should have just called him Comic Relief. Uh, Yeah, he he uh, it was just it was just too too much. the The problem is for me, this movie felt like a like a Goosebumps episode. Like it felt it it Uh it and it it was almost two separate movies. Like the first half or even two thirds. Were like you know meeting the team. It was like you know building up. The, they were figuring stuff out, and they were you know there's a lot that you had to kind of look over. Like they figured out how to use all this stuff very quickly. And that's true. Yeah, you know shooting shooting proton beams at things would do a lot more than just set it on fire. But beyond that, the 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 first half of the movie or two thirds of the movie was really building up the team, getting everything in place, and. And I was okay with all of that. You know, I found it a little annoying. I found just the kids, like they were trying to get all these kids to sort of fill in places where the original Ghostbusters were. And I guess it was okay. And then the last third of the movie was just like, oh, but now for you fans, watch all of this. And then it was just like, mm-hmm. oh, it's it was almost like a co- we're watching like a cosplay movie of the original. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. Like, how like, I felt, Kev. Like Ghostbusters greatest hits. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. I. I mean, we'll get into. I mean, I guess we can. Can we get into the spoiler part right now, so we can like really. Yeah, I, I think so. Chew on I this. Think so. All right. So, uh, spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. We're, we're getting into spoilers ahead. Good people. Spoilers. <laughs> oh God, that's scary. Voice um, of God. <laughs> God. Um. All right. Well, so I guess we should also talk about like how the movie starts. So basically, the movie starts. Um, takes place. The whole movie takes place in uh, Somerville, Oklahoma. It's not even in New York City at all, which is a, 
which is yeah, very that's, different. That's than a real switch from the original movies. Ghostbusters because you think of the original Ghostbusters in particular is one of those quintessential New York City movies. And so it's a real switch in environment. Right. And so we start off the movie with uh, the death of Egon Spengler, where we mm-hmm. see him rushing towards this house. He has like a, a trap in a he's, he's driving in a pickup truck at a trap in the passenger seat next to him. And he's trying to um, run to the house where he has all these sort of elaborate traps set up to capture this huge ghost coming from the, the old mine. And we find out that the trap didn't work. And uh, they did this really well because you don't see Egon's face in it at all. You see, you see him like in the shadows. You see stuff blocking his face, but yeah. so you don't see his face at all. But you see enough to know that oh, that's an older Egon Spangler. They're teasing you, but, but yeah, you can kind of tell from like the hair and the shape of his his face that it's it's Egon Spangler. You know, obviously it's not Harold Ramis since uh, Harold Ramis unfortunately passed away a number of years ago. Uh, but whoever the double they use or, or whatever they did, you instantly realize that it's Egon or, or very close to after the beginning, you realize it's Egon. Right. Yeah, that whole, the whole intro for me felt like a, like a really well done cinematic for a video game. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, I can see that. It was just, you know, like just it, like it's sir, it's existed solely to move the neck, to move the rest of the movie forward, which obviously the, the intro of a movie does. But it felt like it was. Just, I I don't know. I just I wanted. I, I think I wanted just a little more, either backstory. And I felt I felt like it could have been a little more artfully done. Um, mm-hmm. But I, 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 you know, you got the point. You got the idea that you know he's out there still fighting ghosts, and um, and then he, he, you know, he just kind of he dies, and I, I felt like that could. I would have like I wanted to see him go down shooting or something, I, you know. And I understand I, later in the movie there's a, sort of a reason he did it, sort of. But it, it's just I don't know. I, I. I felt very awkward and I, I still can't even put it into words about how the begin how the movie started. And mm-hmm. obviously they had a challenge by, you know, with the story that they were trying to tell, especially when the, you know, one of the main characters is deceased, but it yeah. felt, it felt like it was a little clunky in how it handled it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I did notice there were, a... go ahead. Oh, well, no, I did notice. Well, I was going to say, like, I did notice they were like, they did put some pretty obvious nods to the original Ghostbusters. Like when, Egon was in the chair, and then the two hands yeah. uh, burst out of the chair, much like uh, Dana Barrett's chair in the, the first one. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm sorry, uh, John, go, what were you going to say? Well, I, I was just going to say, and I think I said something like this uh, when we did the original Ghostbusters a few weeks ago. I mean, they have a really, such a unique challenge in this movie because one of the main actors from the original has has passed away but this takes place in a world where the afterlife definitively exists so how do you address that and how do you address him not being there in some way shape or form and i think they did about as good of a job with that as you possibly could and and still be tasteful 
Um, so I was I was pretty happy with that aspect. Uh, Kevin, I totally get what you're saying about you kind of wish that Egon had had a grander death, though, and you wanted him to like go down fighting. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I like literally just saw the movie. Like I I just got out of the movie a little over an hour ago, so it's very fresh in my mind. So I'm still kind of turning it over in my head. Uh, you guys just saw it. Uh, I, think I think you're still in the afterglow ago, of the I movie. I, I I think I am a little okay. bit. I but I I think I'm generally positive on it. Um, it it was not what I was expecting. I will definitely say that it was. Um, but I enjoyed that I was surprised by it. I'm like these days you see so many movies where you see a trailer that basically just summarizes the movie for you. And the trailers True. for this movie didn't give away a whole, whole lot. It gave you a feel for the movie, but I didn't feel like I could summarize the movie without having seen it yet. And I really appreciated that. I liked that it surprised me a few times and that it zigged where... I was expecting it to zag. Like, I mean, I did not like Paul Rudd. We haven't mentioned Paul Rudd yet. Uh, his character oh, right. twists and turns that I was not expecting him to take. They did some things with his character. Yeah. I was expecting uh, Paul Rudd to be a little more central to the climax, I would say. Um, but he's he's sort of sidelined in an interesting way. Uh, yeah, I did notice that too, because I mean, I mean, in this film, I would say Paul Rudd is, you know, probably the bigger name or the mm -hmm. biggest name. Oh, yeah. out of, uh, biggest hands down. Yeah. And like his character, yeah. I mean, he gets, it's a good part. He, he's in the movie quite a bit, but he's not super central to the film. I mean, the, the main character of the film who gets most of the screen time, who's like the heart of this film is uh, this kid, Phoebe played by uh, McKenna Grace, like we said earlier. Um, and we find mm -hmm. out that she is the granddaughter of Egon Spangler, who, she moves into the house that Egon lived in with her brother and her uh, single mom, uh, you know, because her mom, we find out the mom is like flat broke and um, her, her and Egon had a very strange relationship and Egon left the house to her in her name. So then they drive out to Oklahoma to, to live in his house because they have nowhere else to live. And uh, I didn't expect the fact that Egon and her daughter, uh, Callie, would be estranged. I didn't see that whole subplot about like how the mom resented her father just for like abandoning the family and just hating him like he like she really hates him throughout the whole film he's just, he's just like yeah i didn't know him he was a scientist i don't know whatever like he really like right. bad mouths him in front of his kids but i didn't expect that to be a whole thing too but that's always interesting yeah i thought yeah. the I, mean, I thought I, I thought it was a little weird sorry john no, no, let's go ahead. I I thought it was strange. And, and they I mean, you know, they addressed it, but the whole like, people didn't know about what happened in New York situation um mm -hmm. or that, you know, people thought maybe it wasn't real or I feel like even if something like that, I mean, you know, 1984 was obviously a very very different time than now. You didn't have the internet, you didn't have social media, you didn't have 24-hour news. So it was, it, you know, things weren't covered quite as closely. But I feel like yeah. if a giant marshmallow man walked through Manhattan and was then blown up, th mm -hmm. that would be in the history, that would be in history books. Like that would be part of history. 
And there was clearly footage of it. People would have, you know, there were there news stations, there would have been footage. And it was just right. so strange to me that like they didn't know who they, like they didn't know who they were or, or you know the whole thing, it just I feel it just goes back to I feel like they handled it very badly. They mm-hmm. it, almost in my mind it was a it was a and this and this really just goes to the heart of the movie. But it was a strange decision that they said, "All right, well Harold Ramis is dead, so let's make the movie all about Egon." That was a strange uh-huh. yeah. way to I, go for me. They obviously because would not have it, made it creates problems. this movie in this way if Harold Ramis had not passed away. Right. Right. But they, cre- you know, it's almost like they made their life harder in doing this. There, there was ways mm-hmm. they could have made, like, these kids could have been Ray's grandkids. And, you know, Ray could have been you know, so distraught over Egon's death that, you know, he stopped being a ghostbuster or whatever and blah, 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 blah. But making the whole thing central around Egon and how much this woman hated Egon and, you know, then how the movie evolves, it just, it felt like they were working so hard to honor the memory of Harold Ramis that you almost lost some of the rest of the movie in this, in this service to his, it, it was like a memorial to him that, you know, became a movie <laughs> and yeah. it, yeah. it, it didn't need to be all that. I, I and I, I would argue saying. that if Harold Ramis, if Harold Ramis saw this movie, I don't think he would have been happy with it. Mm. Mm. Cause like too sentimental or. Yeah. I think he would have just said, why did you make it all about me? Why did it, 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 it this, this isn't what I created. You know, this movie is about yeah. characters and humor and the way, you know, chemistry between between characters and actors. Like, that's what the movie was about. The movie was based off of, and just to go to the, the theme of your podcast, these were SNL guys. These were guys who live yeah. off of the chemistry in a scene. And that's what this movie was about. Every scene in the original Ghostbusters was a memorable moment in the interaction of these characters. And that there was not one of those moments in this movie for me. Mm-hmm. And I think Harold Ramis would have looked at this and said, this is what you, you guys missed what we were making there. And I would almost go as far to say, and I'm really backing myself into corner here, that the oh, sequel boy. was a better movie than this movie. That, that Ghostbusters wow. 2 was a better Ghostbusters movie than this. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we, we plan to cover Ghostbusters 2 at some point in the near future, like as soon as we can get to it, basically. Um, it's not going to be next week, but we're going to do it as, as soon as we can, I think. <laughs> um, and, and we can get into that. And, I mean, that that one's kind of interesting because, like, even five years later after the first, and it's all the same major people doing it. And to a large degree, even all the exact same creative people weren't quite able to recapture the magic of of that first one. And yeah. I... I mean, I yeah, it's been a long time since I've watched Ghostbusters two, but I remember it's a perfectly fine movie, and it's a it's a, and I think it's funny in its own right. It's just unfortunately following one of the all time comedy classics, so it can't help but disappoint you to some degree. And I mean, this one, I kind of liked that it was doing something a little different. Um, I I I thought McKenna Grace was great. I thought I totally bought her as Egon's. Uh, grandchild because she looks enough like Harold Ramis and they made her up enough because she's got the same sort of 
uh, kinky hair and they give her the exact same glasses. So you're like, okay, yeah, I can buy that she's part of that same gene pool. Um, so, and, right, and I thought her character was, was pretty cool. I don't know if like the recurring, I'm going to tell bad jokes thing. I don't know if that really worked, but it was, you know, I appreciate that, that they were trying to give her a character trait to carry throughout the movie. It yeah, did I not think, work. See, I, I don't know. Part of me likes cheesy dad jokes like that. So like when she goes off and says things like, oh, why can't you trust Adams? Because they literally make up everything. Part of me was like, mm-hmm. hee, hee. like I chuckle at that. That's just me and my nerdy humor. Right. <laughs> see, you're laughing. You like it. I'm laughing at you admitting that you have nerdy humor, oh. not at the joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Wow. I mean, 163 uh, episodes in, we, we find out that Darren likes nerdy humor. I did not see that coming yeah. on the podcast called SNL Nerds. <laughs> Who would have thunk? I'm full it's of surprises. A, it's, a, it's a revelation, truly. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, well, let's talk about McKenna Grace, because I really thought she was like the really the shining star of this whole film, because she plays yeah. it so well, where like she does have like, you know, funny, tells hilarious nerd jokes like the one I just told. But she's mm-hmm. also like very good at being deadpan, you know, much like Egon was. But she also yeah. has like a lot of heart, too. You can see she really kind of cares about like, you know, her friends and her family or her lack of friends, rather. Uh, the fact that she's like super smart yeah. and just like knows how to, you know, do all the technical stuff I thought was interesting. I, I don't know. She, she, the way she played it, it was like really like, oh, she, this was like her breakout role. Cause I looked and see what other things she's done. And like she's done a few things here and there. Like she played the young Tanya Harding and I, Tanya, and the young uh, oh, Carol cool. Danvers and Captain Marvel. So she's done stuff here and there. But like I can see. Uh-huh. Like this performance being the thing that like really kind of puts her on a bigger platform. Yeah, I was I was really impressed with uh, what she did in this movie, and I liked that I liked that her character. She's like a smart kid, but she doesn't make any apologies for being a smart kid. There's there's never a like, oh, why can't I be normal? Why am I so apart from all my peers? And she's just like, no, I'm smart. Deal with it. And I, I like that. I thought that was refreshing. Um, and and like I said, she... I totally bought her as Egon's uh, granddaughter. Go ahead. Did she? And I I saw and I'm because I saw this a couple weeks ago. I'm I'm forgetting details. And I saw another yeah. movie where one of the main characters had was was on the spectrum. Did she ever say that she was on the spectrum? Mm. I do not I remember, remember her ever saying that. No. Because you get the feeling that she's, you know, she she views the world differently, and now it's okay, it almost yeah. reminded me of the movie. What's that? Well, th- there was one moment where I ran off to the men's room, so I was out of the theater for like a couple minutes. So if she said she was on the spectrum while I was peeing, I would have missed that. <laughs> but I do not remember yeah, anything. I, it, yeah, the more and the more I think about it, I don't think she did. But you you do get the feeling that she's you know she's not she her she she's not socially you know really skilled and she views the world differently. So I think they were kind of pointing in that direction. And in some ways, it reminds me. And you know, movies recently have become much more um, willing to embrace you know those kind of challenges and and people with autism and you know the mm-hmm. movie like the movie The Accountant, who I thought that I thought did it really well. Um, 
And so you start to see that. And, and rather than be like, oh, you know, why, like, like John said, like, why can't I be like everybody else? It almost becomes your superpower. It almost becomes like, well, mm -hmm. I, I'm able to utilize the way my brain works better. So I liked, I do like that they handled it like that. And I thought they did, they did her, they did a very good job with her character. Um, and they made her very yeah. likable and, you know, somebody that you want to see. I'd love to see her as an adult. I'd love to see how she, she moves forward. And I would have loved to see that movie without all the other stuff they forced on us because they didn't think we would trust them to make a Ghostbusters movie that was somewhat independent of the original. We'll get mm -hmm. there. We'll mm -hmm. get there. <laughs> I'm just going to keep eating that drum. <laughs> no, because I, I think we're on the same page about that, Kevin. So when we, when we get there, I, I'll, I'm right by your side, my friend. <laughs> so, okay, well, uh, talking about some of the other kid actors, as long as we're on the subject, how, how did you guys uh, like Finn Wolfhard of Stranger Things as, as uh, Phoebe's brother? Uh, Trevor. Yeah, I thought, I was really surprised. I thought his character would have more to do. It seemed like, I felt like he was kind of underdeveloped a little bit. Like, like the only thing I got mm -hmm. to know about him was he's good at cars, he can fix cars, and he has a love interest at the Burger Shack. Uh, like yeah. when they stop at that burger joint and he has a crush on uh, Lucky, whose name I don't think they even say in the movie until like two thirds of the movie in. I uh, never caught it. No. But yeah, yeah, like, yeah, they said it really quickly. Like, oh, like her nickname is Lucky, but she never said it. I don't, I don't know. That's a whole nother thing. But yeah, I thought his, I thought he was all right. But like, yeah, he, he seemed to be a little, little underdeveloped, which surprised me because again, aside from Paul Rudd, he kind of, I mean, he kind of does have like the higher, uh, what's the word? I guess maybe visibility or like higher status as far as things go, because he's been in Stranger Things, which mm -hmm. you know a lot of people have seen. So I thought they would have given him more to do, but and maybe they did and they just cut it out. But yeah, like I felt like his character was a little under underdeveloped. You are being kind, sir. <laughs> his, his character was terrible, and it was terrible casting. It, wow, the brother Not should have been. Yeah, no. It was cast purely because of Stranger Things and the popularity of him and his ability uh -huh. to draw in that demographic. His the character that would have made sense for the for who Phoebe's character was would have been a brother who was a jock and who either you could have gone one of two ways with it. And this is very tropey, but it would have worked. He either could have been the jock who was like, my sister's so weird, I don't get her. Or she could have been, he could have been the jock that defend, protects his sister because he feels he has to because the father's not around, whatever. But it should have been a completely different character. But so you have this, you have, you know, the, the, the one character who's obviously, you know, Phoebe's the nerd, intellectual, she's, she's walking Egon's path. And then you have the brother who looks kind of nerdy, sort of, you know, he's a skinny, awkward kid and he is good with cars, I guess. So like he sort of has that engineering thing in him, but then mm -hmm. he doesn't get his sister. And it's like, is he the same? Is he the same or is he different? Like what's the, what, what purpose does he serve? And in the end it came out, he really didn't serve a purpose. He was just another mm -hmm. character to be there. We just need more people in the movie. So here's a guy who you'll recognize from stranger things. And you'll probably think he's the same guy from stranger things. So that's what we're going to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was a bit yeah. of it where it felt a little like he was cast because he's like one of the trendy kid actors right now. I didn't I didn't mind his character. Um, I don't I didn't I don't agree. I think that he needed to be a jock. Um, 
Kevin, I think you just like seeing jocks in in movies because you're you're a jock. You're a muscular man. You you like seeing yourself mm-hmm. on. No, screen. and you know, and you know what? And and I I I get that, and I I do like that kind of character. You. But no, no, no. I know, but and you're you're but and you're not wrong. But yeah. I do think that dynamic would have, there would have been something there that you could have like kind of put your got your teeth really into, like a relationship that you yeah. could have understood. This was just an awkward relationship because they didn't – and fine, if he's going to be the guy, fine, make him the guy. Make him, you know, Mr. Carr's guy, Mr. Greaser kind of guy. Make him something that we can say, oh, I know, I, I get it. I get what you're doing with this person. But instead, right. he just walked – kind of walked this weird middle where it was just like, okay, I get – and you know what? And sometimes you can have that just normal character who doesn't have, like, anything – you know, not everybody has – a catchphrase. Not everybody's, you know, can be put into a category and that's okay. And a lot of times that character is who's, who the audience is supposed to see the movie through. And he wasn't that either. Like he just, I I don't feel that he ever served a purpose. And even when, and I don't want to get ahead, but even when you got to the more emotional parts with the family and the family history, it was almost like, what he, how does he feel about this? Like you never really got his, it was, it was just like, he was kind of just there. So you you found him kind of bland. It sounds like very, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, like you, you never really get a good sense of like how he feels about things or who, even who he is. Like he doesn't really have any like sort of defining characteristics or personality. Like yeah. like I said, you just you know he's a gearhead. He's good with cars, and he has a crush on this uh you know this this chick at the burger place. That's all you really know about him like you don't yeah he needed more he needed more yeah and you know what and being a horny teenager is sometimes enough like if he was just the guy who was like just trying to get into you know trying to get with a girl or that was his you know he was 15 or whatever he is like yeah that's your kind of driving motivation at that age make him that make him that make him not care about anything else except this girl that he's trying to get with because that was what he was first introduced as. Like he hated the place, and suddenly he saw the pretty girl and was like, "Oh, I'm going to go talk to her." And then like his whole right. his whole path was rerouted. So keep going with that. But he they didn't do that either. It was like they kept, they kept on being like, "Oh, what is you know what's a teenager? Teenagers like girls. All right, make them like girls. Ah, uh, you know we need somebody to fix the car. Make him fix the car. He likes car. It was like he was just there to to serve certain purposes and not be a character that you cared about. Right. I'll okay. do that. Okay. All right. And you you mentioned before, it sounded like you really were not fond of the character of Podcast. And I, I don't even remember if that kid had a r- real character name. He, he's just, I think no. he just introduces himself as Podcast. He's called Podcast throughout the the movie. Uh, by the I, way, his podcast, I think it really finds his voice around episode 46. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he... I mean, he was the he was the comic relief. He was the one who was created to, you know, to make jokes and sort of diffuse the tension of the situation and remind us mm-hmm. that this is supposed to be a haha movie. And it was just really, really forced. And it almost felt a little like it also felt a little awkward because he was Asian or and it almost felt like a little bit of a stereotype, mm-hmm. which also felt awkward, especially as a child. Like, he's like this super intellectual child. I mean, what was he supposed to be? 11, 12? And, you know, he's Asian and he's, he's super, oh you know, intellectual and knows all this stuff. And it felt, it felt a little like, it felt a little 
uncomfortable to me. Uh, it was kind of like uh, data from the Goonies. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. But you look at right. You look at that now, and you go, "Oh my God! How did we let that happen?" But you go, "Oh, it was the '80s." Okay. But now we're now, and we're still kind of yeah. doing that. <laughs> I mean, he felt he definitely felt more like a real kid to me than Data. I mean, if I met a kid like the podcast character, I don't think I would think it unusual or him a racist stereotype. But I, I see what you're saying, Kevin. That. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe he could have been a little more well rounded. Yeah, agreed. Okay, uh, but John, what do you think yeah. of um, what do you think of podcast and of uh, Trevor? Those characters. Um, I mean, I I see what you're saying with with both of them. I again, I I found I found all the kid actors in this. I didn't get sick of any of the kid actors in this movie, and. In so many movies, like you, you see a kid actor who's, who's just, you know, they're they're just like a little too quippy, or they're just a little too wise beyond their years, and that can get very old very fast. And I didn't, I didn't get any of that with any of these kids. So, I thought all the the kid actors did a good job. Yeah, maybe the writing could have been a little stronger for uh, some of them, but I mean, honestly, I I was just so impressed with uh, McKenna Grace. Um, I, I thought she did a really good job of, of carrying this movie because it's really more about her character than any other, I would say. Right. Yeah, no, it's definitely more about her th- than any of the other characters. I, I would say maybe, I would say maybe in second place, like what this movie's about is like uh, her mom, Callie, uh, played by, uh, I believe her mm-hmm. name, the actress name is uh, Carrie Coon. Like, I don't think she was in much, but like, I've, I looked through her IMDb, and the only thing I recognized was she was the voice of uh, Proxima Midnight in the Avengers Endgame and Infinity Wars film. Oh, there you go. Okay, that's probably why her name sounded familiar, but she didn't look familiar to me. I, I always have a better memory for faces than names. So I was like, I don't believe I've seen this actress before. Um, I, I thought she was good. She's sort of like the harried mom and... She's got like a lot of problems in her life. I mean, as as the movie opens, she's like being evicted from her home because she's behind on her rent. And so they they basically go out to this dilapidated old mansion in in Oklahoma because they don't have any other choice. Uh, and she thinks she's just going to sign the place away and maybe get uh, some sort of cash settlement. But then she finds out from Janine from from Annie Potts uh, making a nice cameo appearance that. Uh, no, uh, Egon, who owned the uh, mansion, was like heavily in debt, and uh, so they have to stay there because they basically don't have a choice. Right, like everybody in town kind of knows him as the crazy old man who lives by himself. They, everybody calls him a dirt farmer. Everybody's like, "Oh, you're staying at the dirt yeah. farmer house," and like, yeah. yeah. And it was nice to see Janine too, like, because uh, I remember like they showed her in the trailers, and people were like, "Oh, Janine Melnis is is she?" That that woman's mom, like, what does she have to do with this? And it turns out she's just like the yeah, just helping out a friend. She's just like the keep innkeeper or something like that. I don't remember them ever saying who, yeah, who the mother was. I mean, and okay, I I, I assume you guys stayed and you watched both the uh, the credit scenes in the movie because there's a mid credit yeah. scene yep. and then there's an after credit scene. Yep, yep. You saw both. both of those, right? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, and the 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 very end credit scene they show 
a deleted scene or the beginning of a deleted scene from the original Ghostbusters between Egon and Janine. So I guess that deleted scene is now officially in Ghostbusters continuity now. And it, it's sort of playing up that, that romantic attraction or that flirtation that they had in the original movie, but they never come out and say that Janine was like the mother of Egon's children. They don't, they don't answer that question at all. Like who Egon hooked up with. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, as far as the mother goes for me, man, I've, I, the more uh-huh. I talk about it, the more I'm just going to feel like the hater of this movie. Uh-huh. Um, Bring on the salt. The, the mother was also just kind of an, like an empty character. Like what, like, what do you know? It was almost like, it was like, well, what do you know about single mothers? Well, they hate their fathers and they have bad relationships with men <laughs> and they talk badly about the men that they were in relationships with, but they love their kids and they know they do a bad job parenting. And it's like, who, what do you know people? Do you know re- like real people? Like, that's it. Like she was just an angry lady who we don't, she like, she, did she have any skills? Did she have anything to offer? Like she was just this lady who was there to be pissed off at Egon and to uh-huh. like make, so like to, to sort of play against her daughter's interest in Egon. And that was it. Mm -hmm. Like give her something, give her, give her, you know, like make her, maybe make her like a Sarah Connor type character where she's become so independent and she's a strong character who's, you know, helping her children. Like, I don't, I don't know something, but she just ended up being this like kind of bitter woman who all we really know about her is that she hates her father because he left for some unknown reason. And, she, you know, she's a kind of a screw up because, you know, she's bad with money and whatever. And she did, we're not really sure what she does or how she got there or anything about the father. Or, you know, why, what? It doesn't matter. She's a single mom. That's what you need to know about her. Mm-hmm. That's it. I, I'm not sure if this like, movie passes fuck. the Bechdel test, you know, where, where <laughs> you have two women talking and they're no. not talking about a man. Um, it may not. It probably doesn't, right. actually. Um, if, the, if they're not talking about a man, they're probably talking about a ghost and it's probably a male ghost. So. Yeah. So even in death, the men are just the, the patriarchy is still is still is still prevalent. Right. You like see, I would have, I would have, will never I die. So there'll there'll be no there'll be no ghost of the patriarchy. <laughs> right. And I would have I I I'm gonna by the end of this end up writing a whole different movie. But I would have liked it better if she was so angry at Egon that she decided she was gonna be a better scientist than him. Or she was going to prove all his wow. theories wrong or something. And that was her like Ooh, life's work. Yeah, okay. like, but she, she just ended up being like kind of, again, she was just there to serve this very two-dimensional purpose. And then to, you know, be the love interest of Paul Rudd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, why wouldn't you be yeah. an, a love interest of Paul Rudd? Paul Rudd is a lovable, lovable man. I mean, to the extent that I would I be have a love interest of Paul Rudd. Yeah, exactly. I mean, who doesn't love Paul Rudd? He's he's a delight. He's um, the only and I, I really like Paul Rudd in this movie. I mean, I think what he had to do, it was it was not exactly the function I was expecting him to have in this movie. I, I think I said that earlier, but I think he did what he had to do in this movie really, really well. Um, he's he's a, a seismologist and he's like stuck teaching summer school. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, and you know he's not really taking 
the teaching gig seriously because the very first day of summer school, he's like, okay, we're going to watch this movie Cujo. And then later on, we see them watching child's play. <laughs> and, and uh, but he strikes up a friendship with Phoebe because uh, he discovers that Phoebe has an, a real aptitude for science and, and uh, she knows about the seismology and we're having like mysterious earthquakes in this town. And we, over the course of the movie, we gradually discover the weird connection that this town has with the events of the original Ghostbusters. Right. No, absolutely. And then uh, we also learn, uh, I mean, we learned a few things. We learned that uh, I, I enjoyed how they kind of brought in the idea of Egon as the ghost, like kind of early on in the film, like mm-hmm. how, um, like, you know, when Phoebe's in her bedroom, she sees, and there's like a chess set next to her bed. She sees one of the pieces is moved, you know, is moved, is moved it forward. And uh, then she, so she takes the other piece on the other side of the chessboard and makes her move. And then she wakes up and it's, and the piece that was moved before it moves in a different place. And she's like, Oh, I guess I'm playing chess with the ghost. Okay. And like, and like, I think, I think uh, that's Kevin. That's that kind of touches on the thing about whether she might be on the spectrum or not, because like at one point she actually literally sees the chess piece move like on its own with nobody there. She doesn't freak out. She's just like, oh, I guess this is the ghost of my grandfather. Okay. Yeah, that was ridiculous. <laughs> that was absolutely She's ridiculous. A little too I, instantly accepting. Yeah, I think even the mo- the highest functioning person with autism would still have been shocked or scared or dismayed or and we t- I, we talk about this a lot on gutting the sacred cow. I can't stand when people in movies don't act the way real people would in stressful uh-huh. situations. Like she didn't go tell anybody about this. She didn't say it's like, it's just, it. no kid. What, she, she was also was like 12, I guess, 12, 13, whatever she's supposed to be. Yeah. And yeah, no I kid would say, mom. Yeah. yeah. Mom, there's somebody, mo- there's an invisible force moving a chess piece around. Like you would say something. You would uh-huh. you would absolutely say something to either to the mom or to the brother or to somebody, but then she just like she just accepts it all and she accepted everything that was put in front of her in this movie. She didn't question any of it. She just uh, accepted it blindly. Yeah, I'll give you that. Like, and the fact that when um, the ghost sort of guides her yep. towards where Egon hid the trap, you know, like she sits in the, ch- the same chair that Egon died in, and the chair she moves towards where. Egon hid the, the uh, trap in the floor, and she just takes it out. She's like, oh, this is interesting. What's this? Yeah, she doesn't get freaked out by it at all. But then again, they, they do mention that. Wait, Darren, hold on. Hold on. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. You skipped over the fact that the chair points her to something, and she's like, oh, it must be pointing to this piece of wood on the floor. That's a puzzle that I know how to do. And I did it without, you know, without multiple efforts. And, oh, here's this thing. Like, what? what? All, right. all right, I'll give you that. That. <laughs> That was well, a little too convenient. I, I think the implication there was that the ghost of Egon or the spirit of Egon, whatever you want to say, was like guiding her through that. And I did like I did like after she discovers Egon's secret workshop, um, she, she like finds a fireman pole and like slides down into the workshop. I did I did find myself wondering, how do you get out of that workshop after you slide down the fireman's pole? Do you climb back up that? Do you shimmy back up? Um <laughs> They did. They did not cover that question, <laughs> and I found myself wondering that when the mother found the same thing. Yeah, but I liked, like, 
like Egon's spirit is sort of felt. You don't see like an actual ghost Egon at this point in the movie, but like there's a light by her that sort of like shines where she wants to know. And at one point she's like looking at some of the old Ghostbusters equipment. She says like, well, how did you, how did you know how to build all this stuff? And then the light just pans over to all these degrees on the wall. I liked that. Cause that was, <laughs> that was kind of cool. Um, I thought that yeah. was a neat way to have this, uh, to represent the character of Egon without getting into, you know, what do we do? <laughs> Cause we don't have a Harold Ramis here. Um, so I, did you I notice the jars of spores, molds, and fungi? I did. I did. I was like, "Hey, you still got the, the spores, molds." He, he kept the hobbies up because it's imp- it's important to have hobbies. I mean, his he had the paranormal as his profession, but he he still had the hobbies, and I think that's an important thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that was. I mean, I, I I but I see what you mean. Yeah, now you think about it, you're like, oh yeah, that was. That was interesting. I mean, like they again with the Easter eggs they put throughout the film, like the fire, you know, the firefighter pole, like was in the first film. Spores, mold, and fungus uh-huh. from the first films. Yeah, yeah. they they the, they the stacked books. Did you guys catch that? The which one? Oh yeah, the, yeah. They were no in the living room. There are books. They never stacked book on like that. this. Yeah, there's no. there's a gigantic <laughs> crazy. Like, six foot stack of books when they first come to the the mansion, <laughs> <laughs> and um. I liked I liked at one point because the kids go on kind of a it, it starts out with Finn Wolfhard's uh, character Trevor he, he take he repairs the Ecto one and he takes it out on a joyride and then he ends up running into Phoebe and podcast after they have an encounter with a ghost and that that ends that leads into this big chase sequence through the town and they they end up arrest well not arrested but taken in by the authorities. Um, because Trevor doesn't have a license and he's actually only 15 and he's failed his driver's test three times, we find out. Um, and yep. I was very surprised that the sheriff was played by Bokeem Woodbine. I had no idea he would be in this movie, but I was like, hey, surprise, Bokeem Woodbine. I, I let him from Fargo. He barely was. And Spider-Man Homecoming. And I thought that was one of the cleverer gags in the movie where like he says, oh, you've you've got one phone call. Who are you going to call? Um, I thought that was a clever uh, way to, yeah. to get that line in. Um, I thought that was cute. And, yeah. Uh, and he places a yeah, call. Both, both, he places a phone call. Yeah, he places the call to uh, raise a cult because she saw the number on a YouTube video when she was watching the old uh, Ghostbusters ads from the 80s. Because yeah. I think she, I believe at this at this point she took the trap to school one day, and like her and podcast were looking at it. They didn't know what it was because they'd never heard mm-hmm. of what happened in the eighties. Uh, Gary Gruberson, Paul Rudd, that's that's yeah. quite a name. Uh, he looks at it, he's like, "Oh, cool, is that a replica? That's from the eighties." And yeah. then that's when he tells them about what happened in the eighties. Which, because by the way, raise a cult was pretty much the only nod to the sequel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, I mean, the, book, oh right. the bookstore. The bookstore was the only thing. That happened that's in the true. sequel that they yeah that's that's true yeah Ray is still running the same bookstore um, and yeah I I didn't mind so much that the Ghostbusters almost passed into the realm of legend because they were at the beginning of Ghostbusters two they're discredited and everybody thinks that the events at the end of the first film were some kind of hoax and that they it was all a big put on so I, I didn't I didn't find it a big stretch that uh, they that 
everybody more or less forgotten about them. I mean, because you, you have to have that that sort of process of discovery, I think. Um, so I did. Here's I the thing about that, though, John. Mm-hmm. If you're going to if you're and you're you're 100 percent right. And if yeah. if if they were just going to go, oh, all right, well, you know, in the in the sequel, they were, you know, they were kind of made out to be charlatans and everybody thought it was a, a lie and, you know, whatever. Fine. Then you have to acknowledge everything else that happened in the sequel that, oh, by the way, what about we walked the Statue of Liberty through Manhattan? True. Like, true. That all yeah. happened, too. So yeah. now we've done yeah. two ridiculous things in Manhattan. Like you can't you can't have one without the other. And yeah, it's I, I it's it was that was I, I I I haven't and I don't know why I didn't research it yet, but I'm definitely going to look up why the producers chose to kind of disacknowledge everything that happened in the sequel. I'm sure that, you know, there's a reason just because it wasn't a great movie. But yeah, the it, it was it was it's just very odd to me. It's very odd. And the minute they went to the to the store, I was like, oh, so they remembered being in the store and that, you know, I, you know, I <laughs> there was just there was there was a lot of uh, kind of his- historical rewriting that didn't all jibe with one another. Right. I mean, Ray, he kind of, he's talking to this, this girl who's a stranger on the phone. He, he, he finds out that he's, she's Egon's granddaughter and Ray and Egon have had a falling out. Um, he's like, you know, Oh, e- Egon Spengler is, is dead to me. May he rot in hell or something like that. And then he finds out a minute or two later that he actually did pass away like the week before. Um, so, and then yeah, when he, Ray updates us on the other Ghostbusters, he's like, uh, oh, Venkman went back into academia and he's a professor emeritus at, uh, some university or another. And then I think he says, you know, Winston went into business and he's kind of vague about it. And yeah, made and a lot like of you said, Ray is still running the, the, the occult shop, which, which seems like a good fit for Ray because we, we know that Dan Aykroyd's really yeah. into the occult. So, Yeah. Like, well, like when he when he updates everybody about what happened to the last remaining Ghostbusters, it kind of it kind of does all make sense. Like, yeah, you know, uh, Pete going back to academia that that would make that would seem about right. And then mm-hmm. Winston sort of going into finance and you know starting a business and making tons of money. I was like, like it didn't seem none of it seemed too like unbelievable to me. Well, hold on a minute. It's Frank again, interrupting to remind everyone that the audio is about to get a little wonky. Um, we have the ability to fix the audio here, uh, but we did not have the ability to do it in a timely manner. I know everybody was really excited about hearing our thoughts on Ghostbusters Afterlife, and to get it up uh, again in a timely manner, we had to make do with the uh, rescue audio that we're about to hear. If you're interested in hearing all this in its as close to original quality as possible consider going to patreon.com forward slash nonpro and you know making a donation if we get a big uptick in snl nerd supporters um, we may actually put the effort into sampling each bit of audio and rescuing darren and kevin's voices from the abyss otherwise you know it's a free episode enjoy it and we'll see you in the comments. Oh God, please don't leave bad comments. We we really, I'm I'm emotionally drained. All right, back to the show. Can can I can I jump back to Paul Rudd's character real quick? Let's Go do it. it. Yeah. Um. So Paul Rudd's character starts off as this kind of mash of Vankman and Stance, where he's got the like wide eyed excitement of Ray when he discovers all the ghost busting stuff. 
but he's also kind of got the snarky slacker attitude with the kids. You know, he's putting on videos for them and he just doesn't care because he's above it. Um, and so, and I was, I was cool with that. I was like, all right, this is a, this is an interesting character. You know, he's sort of filling two slots, but you know, he's Paul Rudd, the sexiest man alive. How can you argue with that? 2021 um, sexiest man alive. Yes. Paul Rudd. We, we did yeah, not mention you don't that. Just get, you don't just get, right. Exactly. You don't yeah. just get handed awards like that without having earned them. Oh but, no. I mean, it, it was, it was a hard fought campaign. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then he morphs into Lewis Tully. And that he transforms into a dog? (laughs) Yeah, and and I mean that he sort of, you know, I don't know, his his character sort of went from being this, like, cool, sort of slack, excited slacker, you know, he's got a bit of the nerd thing going on, but he's a cool nerd and whatever, and then he sort of, he gets, like, a little bit awkward and a little bit weird, and then, yeah, and then he just becomes the the fodder for, for Gozer and that whole final part of the movie that I'm sure we'll get to. He becomes the new key master. Yes. Yeah. And it's just, it was just like, Oh, so that's all that character was going to do. Like you built him up and then we did nothing with him. See that, that was a thing that really surprised me in the movie was like what I was saying before where the movie zigged, where I was expecting it to zag. Um, yeah, I was not expecting Paul Rudd to essentially be taken off stage for, the extended climax of the movie because he was transformed into a dog like uh, Lewis Tully was. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting. I thought it worked okay, but it was, it was a funky choice just because Paul Rudd's a big enough name that you don't expect him to be taken off stage during the uh, climax of the movie, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I thought like, you know, he, they show him sort of talking to the mom and there's like, they had good chemistry and, Mm-hmm. Trying to you know hook up with the mom. I thought that added some really funny scenes there, but yeah, like ultimately it wasn't. It, it didn't really. I mean, I don't want to say it didn't go anywhere, but it was definitely. It felt like again, it felt like it needed more. It seemed like they gave everything, like as far as like character development and dialogue to Phoebe and maybe a little to podcast and some to the mom, but like everybody else just kind of got the scraps. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, I mean, and, and then after that phone call with Ray, that's for, for the longest time after that, you're, you're just kind of waiting for the other Ghostbusters to show up. And, you know, we know from like, because, because the guys have done talk show appearances, they were on like both Fallon and Seth Meyers's late night shows a couple weeks ago when the movie was about to open. And we know that they, they suit up and they're, like, in the proton packs because they're talking about, like, oh, these these are a lot heavier than they were 30 years ago. Um, so, you know, for, for, like, a good half of the movie, you're just like, well, when are they going to show up? When are they going to show up? When are they going to show up? And they do finally show up at the climax and we get to see see the guys. What, what did you think about that when we finally get the OG Ghostbusters back? I, I I think that uh, said so much. <laughs> I was just. Did you guys see um, the Irishman? Um, no, actually, no, I know about it. With, with, with De Niro so de-aged. Yeah. 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 So there's a scene with De Niro de-aged where he, you know, puts a beat down on some guy, and because De Niro is 
eighty or whatever he is. Right. They had to pull back, and you know it's far away, and it's like the slowest SmackDown ever played. <laughs> right. And it was right. painful to watch, and that's how I felt watching the return of the Ghostbusters. They, I mean, I. Bankman seemed somewhat present for the, <laughs> for the scene. Bill Murray. Bill Murray felt like he was dragged out of a fucking casket. <laughs> and 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 was just and it was just told you this Ghostbusters movie. Like he's got a he needs a new roof or something and he had to do this movie. <laughs> that was the most mailed in, reluctant performance I've ever seen. Like you saw in his eyes the whole time was like I was one of the biggest comedic actors in the world. Uh-huh. And here I am in this YA disaster <laughs> re- recreating a character that these kids don't even understand. And yeah, I'm going to go in the I'm going in the house to make some hot chocolate. Like what? Yeah, I mean, that's what we got out of <laughs> I I thought it was wow. it was it was kind of funny because um, you know, for the longest time, Bill Murray, I think it's no secret that Bill Murray was the most reluctant to return for a possible Ghostbusters 3. And for years and years, he was like, I'll do it if you kill me off as Venkman, and I'll come back as a ghost. And in a weird way, Harold Ramis stole his thunder by passing away first. So obviously we can't do that with Bill Murray anymore. We can't kill off two of the original Ghostbusters, and... If we're going to kill off any of them, it has to be Egon, since the the real life actor has unfortunately passed. So yeah, that's what, what do you do with Bill Murray? I I did like him. Where I mean, he he got a few zingers in there. I liked how you know when Zool shows up, he's like you know, oh, we could have had something, baby, but no, you. I mean, it, it was nice to see that Venkman is still a sarcastic bastard. <laughs> And I mean, it is it is nice just to see those guys suited up again and playing their original characters. And I, and I'll I'll admit I did get like a little teary seeing that. It got it got me in the feels, as the kids say. I mean, Darren, what was your reaction? Um, I guess I'm in between both of you guys because um, yeah. So like basically, and this is where I sort of felt like well, this is what I was alluding to with the whole third act. I was like, mm, I don't know about this, just because, um, alright, so basically, uh, throughout the movie, we find out that the whole town was built by Evo Shandor, who was, mm-hmm. of course, mentioned in the first Ghostbusters, um, and, like, the, a lot of the ghosts were hidden in the mining town. Right, or, the, or in the, Evo the steel that went into building Dana's building from the first Ghostbusters, it came from this town. Right, exactly. Uh, so then the, the ghosts get loose. And um, they possess uh, Gary and Callie, the mom and uh, Paul Rudd's characters. And, of course, then we get a recreation of I'm Gatekeeper, I'm the Keymaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see um, the mom dressing like a sparkly dress, much like Dana did in the first Ghostbusters. A lot of nuts in the first Ghostbusters. Yeah, it was like the same dress, uh, but in gold. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, oh, and I, I don't know if you guys caught the two cameos that were in this film. When we had uh, J.K. Simmons as Evo Shandor. Yeah. I did recognize him, yes. The shortest cameo of all time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Gozer. And uh, Gozer, played by Olivia Wilde. I missed Olivia Wilde. Uh, Was she? That was Olivia Wilde? Yes. Gozer, 
that was Olivia Wilde. Okay, because because I, I was thinking when Gozer showed uh, up, I oh, was yeah, like, definitely. she looks really familiar. There's something very distinctive about the shape of her face, but because of the makeup, I couldn't quite place it. But um, now that you say that it was Olivia Wilde, and I missed her name in the credits as well, I was like, oh, okay, that makes total sense. And now I know who Gozer was. Okay, cool. I thought she was completely CGI'd, actually. That's why I didn't even look up the actress. Because mm. the way it looked, it looked like a completely CGI'd character. No, I think they used a lot of practical effects for this. Yeah. I think, like, the only things that were CGI were, like, the ghosts. I did like, I will say, like, uh, about the special effects, I love that they still, for the most part, looked like 80s special effects. And obviously, they, they had to be done with, like, CGI when, like, they're firing the proton packs. But I like that the the rays or the, you know, the energy flowing from it, it still looked more or less like it did in the 80s. I like that they preserved the same look to it. Yeah, that's another thing about this film. It had a very 80s film feel to it. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like a, like, I, I can't explain how, but, like, a lot of the beats and a lot of the jokes and a lot of the, maybe, humor, and it had a very 80s feel to it. But, anyway, uh, to your question, so when the, uh, when it looks like the, you know, the family on the farm is, you know, about to be attacked and Phoebe's trying her best to fend them off and she finds out that the entire, the entire farm the, and the farm is actually one big giant trap to capture the ghost that's in the mining company because Egon sort of built this whole farm in the, just to trap the ghost. Mm-hmm. Like he left the family in the first place because he... Years ago, he saw and knew that this was going to happen, so that's why he left the Ghostbusters. That's why Ray was mad at him. He couldn't tell anybody, and he set up this whole thing just to, like, you know, trap the ghosts, keep them contained so the world wouldn't end. So anyway, the ghosts are about to to escape, and everybody's trying to fend them off, and then the Ghostbusters show up. And I think this is the point where I was like, like, the fanboy in me likes to see this. This is a good, cool, you know, like, little nostalgic thing to see, but... You already spent most of the movie making me care about this family, you know, Phoebe and Trevor and the mom, and, and I do care about them, but now it seems like the focus has shifted totally away from them and onto the Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, it was like, a, it was like a tone shift in a way. Like, the, the focus sort of, it's like the movie sort of became about them in the last 20 minutes. Yeah. Right, right? It w- and I guess maybe that was done just to, to appease the fanboys and, like, they don't want to make you know make the fans angry like you know like the 2016 movie i mean god can you can you imagine like like, the 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 fanboy wrath we would have seen if like the kids had saved the day all by themselves and totally shown up the original ghostbusters and i mean i think it does make sense from a story standpoint that yeah the original ghostbusters who know what they're doing more even as quickly as the kids picked up on how to use all the equipment um but yeah, it's interesting because the movie is basically told from the point of view of the kids and or of Phoebe's family. And like after that phone call with Ray, we don't see the original Ghostbusters until like the very, very end when they come in and they just they help save the day. Um, you kind of want to see that that other movie with the original Ghostbusters where the, the gathering everyone together and you, you want to see a little of it from their point of view, yes. I think. Yes. Yes, that could have been. This, uh, like maybe this could have been two movies. I don't know. Yeah. But the fact that they just like we're we're seeing a like a real movie. We're going to see a real movie that people spent real money on. 
to make. And you have these three guys just kind of deuce ex machina themselves in. Mm-hmm. And at the exact time that they need to be there. Like they, you know, right. perfect timing, guys. And with their, you know, with their kind of corny one. Look, and I will admit it. I the whole audience started so flawed. I started a flawed. I got the chills and a little misty seeing yeah. them and everything. I got to see the movie um, opening weekend in the same movie theater that I saw the original in. Oh wow! So yeah, I was there for the whole experience, and I, I, I was I was with it. But that moment when they walked in and then they you know that from that from from the from their moment of fighting Gozer in the temple or whatever, and they, you know, they, they steal the, the mother out of, uh, the one devil dog, dog, demon dog. Um, from that moment, literally to the end of the movie, the whole movie just fell apart for me on, in retrospect Uh while taking the ride as a huge fan of the original movie, I was on board. I was going there, but I will, I, there's no reason for me to go watch this movie again because there's nothing I need to see again. I saw it. I saw it all, and there's nothing for me to relive in this movie because I, I, and I don't, and I honestly don't want to see the three of them all old and sort of half acting their way through these scenes, <laughs> delivering ridiculous dialogue to a climactic moment in the movie that's kind of just barely put together of a, with a with a, a prota- an antagonist. That she was defeated before. Like, why do we care about her anymore? You beat her already. So now we're supposed to care about her again? Uh-huh. The, the, last, the last third of this movie was just... was it, This movie, and I, I, I said it, uh, I think, on, on our podcast, uh, was, was Ghostbusters fan service. Sure. That's yeah. what, in the end, that's what... The last third of this movie was just friggin' fan service. And it was... It, it was it was just like it was too much. It was just like too much cotton candy at the fair. Like it starts off as a great idea, and then by the time you're done eating it all, you went, oh, "I should have done that." Yeah, I, I kind of see that. I mean, like my one gripe, I guess, about that is, like, like you said, they did beat Gozer the first time. I kind of expected Gozer to come back maybe stronger and bigger and more of a threat this time. But she, or or I shouldn't say she, because you know Gozer is whatever she wants to be. But like yeah. Gozer just kind of came back. Like in the normal way, Gozer came back before. Uh huh. Like it wasn't as threatening. It was kind of. What happened uh, to that? And then they gave you this awesome, like I- Igor Shandor. I thought even Ivan, Ivan Shandor, whatever. Ivor. Yeah. Ivan. Whatever it is, Shandor. I th- I was like, oh, cool. Like he's gonna be the guy now. Like maybe he'll kill Gozer. And, you know, take the power or something, and he's going to be the big bad guy, and it's going to be something cool. And the minute I saw it was, it was J.K. Simmons, I was like, holy shit, like, this is going to be legit. Like, yeah. This is really. And then they killed him, and I was like, what just happened? What? What? And then it was just Gozer again. <laughs> Without the best part of Gozer becoming a giant marshmallow. Like, it it, it blew my mind. And 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 for me, the, the, the most telling thing about this movie, I think, I, I think, is that the funniest scene in the movie was the scene that was the second release trailer that I that I said earlier that I wasn't sure if it was in the movie was Paul Rudd with the mini with the mini Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. That uh-huh. was the best scene. That was the funniest scene. The funniest scene. In the I, movie. I don't know if that and was the funniest for me because 
I, like the little marshmallow man, it seemed a little too son of flubber to me. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I I think I think if I, I'm thinking back on the gags, I did I did like the callback to the original Ghostbusters where. Gozer says, like, well, are you a god? And then, like, we we just see, Dan, like, close on Dan Aykroyd, and he, he's just, like, turning it over in his head, and he's like, oh, wait, I've been here before. And and I think, you know, Bill Murray and Ernie Hudson are, are just like, what, seriously, we're doing this again? You, you, you say yes, you're a god. How do you not have this down? I like that. I thought that was a cute callback. Um but again, that's like a thing that's I, treading on I our mean, nostalgia. Yes. Yeah. It, right. It was a fun callback. But so assuming this is Gozer, Gozer doesn't remember the one time it was defeated by three mortal humans and it sees them again and it doesn't recall any of this. It would have been better if it said, well, I know you're not gods. Uh-huh. And then they looked at Ray and he was just like kind of shrugged or something. But having him go through that whole thing and then say, yeah, like it was like, ah. They're, they're literally falling into all of the traps that we, we've, the ghost traps that we've set for them. Like, uh-huh. all this, like, it was just, it was all just like, it was just, it was just T-ball. It was just lay up and shoot, lay up and shoot. And it was, it was just, I don't know, it was just too easy for me. The whole, the whole last third of the movie was just, it was, it just all worked out. The lines went to, it was just, it was just too much for me. It was really... I was really, really disappointed by the last third of this movie. So it sounds like you really liked it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's talk about this part, because this part of the movie where I I was like, I don't don't know how to feel about this. Um, So we see Phoebe using the proton pack, trying to board, you know, fend off Gozer. Then we notice there's like a ghostly hand helping guide Phoebe with the proton pack, the camera pulls back, we see it's the ghost of Egon Spengler, and we see like a CGI, aged up version of Egon. Uh-huh. Uh, guys, Kevin, I'll, I'll leave it up to you, I want to hear your fury. Yeah, like, go what for it, Kevin. What did you think when you saw Egon? Ugh. <laughs> uh. I, lo- I love how every comment you have is just precedented by an Ugh. <laughs> Right. It wouldn't have felt as uber creepy as it did. But he hung and around he for a while. There and it, yeah, and it was just like, holy shit, bro, get out of here. What are you doing? You're, this is a dead guy. This is a, a legitimate dead human being. Yeah. Who we're all now, as the audience, forced to interact with in this creepy nostalgia moment. Also with the family, his, his movie family, who... None of them seem to react again the way people would. Like the, the the brother who has you know almost zero personality and character was just kind of like hi, and then the 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 granddaughter was you know hug them, and then the mother sees and the mother it, it like it was just like oh my god they're doing all this like there's no like every every little every string has to be cut like we're we're taking care of every loose end was cut 
and we did it, and we did it all. Don't you feel better about it now? And it was like, not really, because you you recreated a dead guy to like serve the purpose of this story that you only kind of half-assed together in the first place. Yeah, I like when I first. I, I kind of agree with you because like when I first saw that, I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how this feels. I don't know if I'll kind of feel about this because I had a feeling they might do something like that, but. Again, like in the beginning of this movie where they just showed his ghost being there by like moving things. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I like that, but I don't want to see him. Because I, I was afraid it would come off as maybe a little too uh, exploitive or something like that. And I'll, I'll, I'll compare it to this. Like um, another time this happened with they brought back somebody from the dead when they put in uh, Carrie Fisher back into those Star Wars movies. And, um, you know, after she died, it felt a little like Oh, this feels kind of weird and wrong. At the end um, of Rogue One, so yeah. Like, so when I saw him, yeah, exactly. Like, he, like this was after she passed away, and but they CGI'd her in because they had like some leftover footage or whatever. And I was like, oh, that oh, was not leftover footage. That was pure CGI. <laughs> that was that was, oh, was that it? was oh. that was deep fake <laughs> Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Got it. All right. So yeah, so like when they. When they deep faked in Egon, I was like, ah, oh, this feels, I don't know, like, I feel like I should just let the man rest. And, but, like, it was weird. It, it, it rides that line of them paying homage and tribute to him, but at the same time feeling kind of, I don't know, weird. Like, it, it showed, like, after they defeated Gozer and had all the rest of the Ghostbusters talk to Egon and be like, I miss you, man. I'm mm-hmm. sorry we, you know, I'm sorry we didn't bury the hatchet. And, and, and yeah, and it's like what you said too, Kevin, like, where the, the mom hugs him and gets closure, and then he kind of dissipates into the air, into the night sky, and then it says, for Harold. I like, part of me was like, oh, uh, I, I don't know, like, I hope, like, it felt like they were kind of trying to maybe manipulate my feelings or something. Like, I don't, I, it, it, I mean, at the same time, I do understand, like, you know, it, it was uh, Jason Reitman that did it, and he, like, he wouldn't have put it in there if he felt it was exploitive, and he felt like it was a nice, a beautiful tribute. And of course, he had to run it by the, the Ramis family. He had to run it by his daughter before he, he aired it. So, like, that's the only reason I'm kind of okay with it, because like, the family had to sign off on that. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It felt a little weird to me. Darren, but, they did play with your emotions. They there. covered a piece of dog shit in icing <laughs> and jammed it down your throat and said, isn't this good? And you were like, yeah, it is. And then halfway through, you're like, I'm eating dog shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a metaphor. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, I, I definitely did not have the visceral reaction that, that, uh, that you did, Kevin. I thought, like, first off, I will say that effects-wise... It was brilliantly done. It looked the I, I thought the uh, the ghost Egon looked utterly convincing with like the de aging, and I thought it looked eerily like uh, the real Harold Ramis. And I desperately want to watch a behind the scenes featurette of how they did that. Did they take like old footage of Harold Ramis from other movies and age him up? Somehow, did they have, like, a stand-in? Did they do a combination of techniques? I really want to know all that. I want to see how they did that step-by-step, because it was fascinating and so much better than what they did with 
uh, Carrie Fisher in Rogue One, where obviously the tech was not there yet. Um, here, I felt the tech was there. Um, I also feel like it was a really good choice to not have him speak. If they had, yes. if they had Egon speaking, I think that would have killed it completely. Because then, you know, you're either reusing bits of dialogue from the old Ghostbusters movies or or other Harold Ramis movies or or whatever, or you have some sound alike who doesn't sound quite right. You know, it's it's like uh, that that Family Guy gag of, you know, well Jim Henson's gone, so now we have wrong sounding Muppets. It would have been like a wrong-sounding Muppet if they'd had some some sound-alike uh, trying to speak as Egon. So I'm glad they didn't even attempt that. And I, I like that they just let the expressions and the effects carry it. And so I thought that worked. It's, you know, when you have the reason to the ghost of Egon, it's hard to look. You can't look at that in just like a purely in-story context. You, you, you've got to look at that as this meta moment of the other Ghostbusters remembering their friend. And so it can't help but take you out of the movie a little bit, you know? It's a, re it's a really interesting point you make as far as the not talking. And I, and there was after they defeated Gozer and he's, I think looking at his grand, and daughter, I, thought, I was like, oh my god, he's going to say something. Uh -huh. And then I'm going to get really uncomfortable. Yeah. And he didn't. But I wonder if they had foregone the whole CGI reincarnation and went with, you know, just the continued, like, the ghostly presence. And then at the very end, if they had just had him say, like, you know, you know, thank you or, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll always be with you or something. Or, or, or just wave, and just like one single that, shot. That of, was it. Yeah. That was all you got. And, yeah. And just, and then, and then like had, you know, Vankman or somebody go, you know, like I, I knew he was here or like I knew he was, he, I knew he wouldn't miss this or something like that. And then just leave it at that. Like this, this creepy where everybody gets it and, it, you know, and then the whole audience goes, wow, that was his voice. And that's it. As opposed to like throwing this friggin' And you're right, John. You're 100 percent right. It looked amazing. Yeah. It almost looked too good. Was uh -huh. was was part of my problem. Like it almost was like, oh my god, this guy. And again, I go back to this guy's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like is this? And and you know they did. And it's and it's the joke with the what, what was it the, the the CGI Tupac or whoever it was. Oh yeah, the hologram. Yeah. The hologram. Yeah. And it's 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 all you know. Is that what the like? Is that what memorials are? Is that how we're like our tribute to the dead, or is that what we're where we're moving to in the future? Because I don't want that future. Like I don't want that at all. And and this was almost like, oh, so now we can you know CGI's gotten so good, you know we can do stuff with with dead actors. And, and I like no, don't right. do that. Yeah, rest rest in peace. Yeah, exactly. Let them rest in peace. Exactly. So you're saying you don't want to see like a, a Marilyn uh, Monroe Bruce Lee blockbuster. Where they they do like a romantic comedy with kung fu. <laughs> well, you, well, no, you know, you know what's uh, I mean, honestly, the, the first thing that came to my mind as I was saying that was Chadwick Boseman. Like, yeah. Would they would they go as far in the in you know in the next Black Panther to show him at least just for a second as some kind of you know passing the mantle or something? And I don't want to see that. <laughs> you know, it's I I mean they haven't talked about that yeah, much, but like I. I don't want to say that that might happen, but it just might. Well, you know, 
it, it with with Chadwick Boseman because he died much more recently. It seems like it's in worse taste somehow, and I know that's a weird hair to split. But like, Ramis passed away in what, like twenty fourteen? Was it something like that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's that's like seven years ago. That's a decent amount of time. It doesn't it doesn't seem as ghoulish to recreate uh, Harold uh, Ramis to me I'm as it would. Yeah, well, like, but if they if they even just did like a quick cameo with Chadwick Boseman in the next Black Panther movie or whatever the next Marvel movie uh, featuring that character would be, that would seem a little uh, tasteless or at least in questionable taste to me. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I thought this I worked okay. Black Panther discussion. I just you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much the film. It kind of ends right there. I mean, I, I mean, I guess that was kind of my main concern about the ending. It's just uh, like it kind of, like I said, it takes the focus away from the family and kind of puts it squarely on the Ghostbusters. Yeah. And then after this scene, then we go on to uh, we, we cut to the, the, the like an overhead shot of Manhattan for some reason, and then it cuts to credits. Yeah. And then we get a mid-credit scene where we see um, Pete Bankman and Dana Barrett. And Dana Barrett's doing the um, that yeah, that's, uh, what's that, that psychic test. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, Pete Bankman did in the first Ghostbusters. And, and it was it was, was like the the where they placed it because they had they they credit all the new cast and then they say and special appearances by Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, and then right after they put up Sigourney Weaver's name. And everybody in the audience is just going, wait, Sigourney Weaver was in this? Where, where? I totally missed her. And then they start the scene with her and Bill Murray, which I thought was a really cute uh, scene. And I thought that was... I, I enjoyed that, because those two still have wonderful chemistry together. And, um, yeah, so that scene was cute. It really didn't add too much to the film. It was just yeah. a little aside. Well, I also and thought it was, it was cool... Wait, wait, wait. Before we go on to the next post credit scene, I, I'd like to just say, I also liked that it was kind of acknowledged that the time has passed and and what was just a really funny scene in 1984, now you look at it and it's like, well, that's a little creepy. And Dana is yeah. actually saying to Venkman, I can't believe you used to do this with your students and you would shock them. And... uh Venkman just goes, well, honestly, I would just shock the the, the guys. And and the, even Venkman's acknowledging, yeah, that wasn't quite cool of me. Uh, yeah. Yep. So Time's I, up, I, I, thought, I thought also, that was a cool also way. It allowed you to know that, oh, they're still together. Exactly. Exactly. And they have, and, and it's, it, it plays very nicely. It just plays as like gentle teasing between a couple that's been together for a long time. And, uh. Honestly, I thought I always thought that Sigourney Weaver had a terrific idea for a Ghostbuster sequel, which is that her son Oscar should now be grown up and be a Ghostbuster in his own right. Um, make that movie. That would that would have been fun to see, and it would have been. I know that's an idea she's had for the longest time, and it would have been cool if even if they just had a throwaway line acknowledging that Oscar was a Ghostbuster uh, of his own. But you know, I guess that would have uh, been a distraction. But yeah, but uh, Darren, you were saying yeah, there is a second uh, post credit scene, and I stuck around for 
all the way through the credits because I was like, I don't know if there's going to be another scene or not. I don't want to miss anything. And uh, yeah, we got another scene in the uh, right after the credits. Yeah, so the next scene, uh, it's like you said, they showed the one of the outtakes from the original Ghostbusters about how, how Janine was wanting to give this coin from the World's Fair to Egon. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to present day. We see Janine with, still with the coin, and then she's having a uh, she's having a talk with Winston at his office, and they're talking about the, the old days. Winston talks about how he's like a really successful businessman now, and he's got tons of money. But it, at, at in his heart, he's always just been a Ghostbuster. So like then they cut they they cut in between his speech about that, and they cut to him like kind of walking through an, an old uh, firehouse, the old. Firehouse, right, and um, it kind of hints to the fact that he might that he might be bankrolling like a new, you know, a new era of Ghostbusters, and then and it cuts down to the old containment unit in the basement, and it shows like the blinking red light, and then uh, you know, cuts to black. Yeah, so uh, I thought that was interesting. It was it was neat to see. It's nice to see uh, Andy Potts and. Uh, uh, and Ernie Hudson get another bit in the movie because I mean Winston obviously far and away the least developed Ghostbuster character because he just the poor guy just did not get much to do. So I like them showing that Winston has made a real success of himself and that he is basically subsidizing Ray. He he's paying the rent on the uh, occult shop and he's like, well that's going to turn a profit someday. <laughs> uh, so I like that I like that Winston's looking out for his old buddies. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be Char- Charlie, like Charlie's Angels, Charlie. Although it's like I thought there was like a little, yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought there was a little continuity thing because like earlier in the movie when Phoebe called Ray, Ray told him, "Yeah, we lost the firehouse. It's the Starbucks now." But then yeah. it shows Winston walking through that very same firehouse. So I was like, "What the hell happened? This ain't no Starbucks. What, what's going on here?" Sloppy writing. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they were they were very vague on what type of business Winston owned and was running. So, like, is he a bigwig with Starbucks? I was expecting them to have like an establish or a, a shot after the Winston Janine scene, where we see like this big high rise with like International Ghostbusters headquarters, and it's like this big franchise operation now. Um, I was kind of half expecting that, but they, they kept it vague, I guess, to leave open possibilities if uh, they ever want to do a sequel to this. Um, but I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah maybe maybe Winston, like, uh, owns the Starbucks, and maybe the Starbucks just cleared out of there, and he just bought the place back. I don't know. Oh, it's got Starbucks money. Maybe, right. maybe. Winston, yeah, he could he could have been an investor in Starbucks. And, uh, yeah, so that's the film. Um, overall, I mean, we'll give our, our thoughts overall. Overall, I'll say this. I... All right, Kevin, I, I know you've made your thoughts very clear about how you, how you feel about this movie. And I I agree with some of your stuff, but I overall, I don't think that the bad is enough for me to dismiss the entire movie as a whole. I think, like, the good... I, 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 there was a lot of good stuff in maybe the first half and, you know, maybe the first two-thirds of the film. Towards the end, I will admit, like, it gets a little wonky. I would say that the last... You know, the last, the third act of it is where it 
kind of pulled apart a little for me. But I enjoyed the the first thirds of it so much that I'm kind of willing to overlook it a little bit, even though. But I will admit it, the ending isn't as strong as it should have been. So that's, those are my words. So like I I recommend that I say go see it. That's that, that's that's my thought. Yeah. Kev, what do you think? So yeah, I liked the first two thirds enough. The you know the 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 new young Ghostbusters movie that we got to see that was nothing like the original Ghostbusters, but I was okay with that. Um, there were I, I mean I had a lot of problems with just the characters, but listen, in a sequel, and they're mm-hmm. going to you know probably expand those characters, and there's gonna be a lot more development and time spent on them. So I'm sure that'll get better. But then the last third, which was just basically digging up the dead, and you know, and sh- and shoveling the fan service down our throats. I thought it was, uh, in retrospect, at the time, I was like everybody else in the theater, just saying, "Yeah, just shovel it in my face. I'll give more, please." But, <laughs> but now, in, shit sandwich. In retrospect, and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now thinking of it, it's just as a whole movie, as and and as storytelling, which is what a movie's supposed to do. It, it was bad. Just it. The last third of the movie just ruined it for me. Mm. Destroys the whole movie for me because they just didn't try. They didn't try. Just guys, think about the think about the conflict in the movie. As far as the you know, so this town was, and I'm sorry to keep to be going back now, but to this town existed because Shander was there and he built a temple that we never really got to find anything about about temple that was mm-hmm. interesting and now so now there's ghosts and ghosts back and and it just it just was all so clunky and so poorly done and there were so many opportunities where it was like oh this could be really cool oh they're not gonna go with that oh this could be cool oh they're not gonna do that either <laughs> and instead they just every time they just went fan service every time it was just like well you know what we could have a really cool story here and a really cool moment but instead here's a miniature stay puff marshmallow man like what That's right crazy. like screw you we're Give your audience a little more credit. And it was almost like they were like, you guys can't possibly get past the first Ghostbusters, so we're going to give you all this stuff again. It's like, oh, screw you. Like, give us give us a good movie. Give yeah. us a good, and that's why people hated Ghostbusters 2016. It was a bad movie. It had nothing to do with women or nothing to do with doing Ghostbusters again. It was you made a bad movie. And uh-huh. this movie, while better than that, still wasn't a great movie. And they had opportunities to make a great movie. Crap the bed. In, in favor of fan service and weak storytelling, I rest my case. I think Darren. Yeah. I I think I think Kevin is going full Zoidberg on this movie. <laughs> this is uh, sounds like to me. Ke- Kevin, can I, can I do a quick uh, Doctor Zoidberg on your behalf of this movie? Please, please. That was bad, and you should feel bad. So that that's that's uh, going full Zoidberg. That's what we do here when uh, something is disappointing. I mean, I I'm still like more favorably inclined. I like it. Uh, thank you, thank you. I, I'm still more favorably inclined to the movie. I think if you go in expecting a movie exactly like the first Ghostbusters, you you are going to inevitably be disappointed. This is not that. It's not as comedic. Uh, it's it's much more of a slow build, but it is. I think 
an interesting story that is set in the same world in the same continuity. And yeah, there is some neat fan service stuff, and it is neat to see the original Ghostbusters all suited up again. I do agree with you that like the the supernatural plot, it was a little too reminiscent of the original Ghostbusters. Like, you know, oh, we're doing Zool again. We're doing Gozer again. These people are being transformed into dogs again. Keymaster and Gatekeeper again. So it it did have a little of that, you know, play the hits kind of quality. Um, so, but I, I still enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, and maybe I'll feel more harshly toward it in, in a week or so, the way you guys seem to be. Like, you've, you've had a little more time to stew over it, so... Um, but I, I enjoyed it. I, I don't feel like I wasted my money seeing it. I didn't walk out disappointed. I, I At most, it was just like, oh, that wasn't quite was I, what I was expecting, but I think it's kind of cool when I see a movie and it's not exactly what I was expecting. Because so mo- many movies you see these days, like, you watch the trailer... The dark side, John. What's that? <laughs> Come to the dark side. <laughs> Well, check in with me uh, in a week or so, and we'll we'll see how much I ate at that. Um, um, but I mean, I I find it interesting, like cause, like yes, yeah, so many movies uh, these days, like you see the trailer and you feel like you could basically summarize the movie and be ninety percent right. Um, so I liked that the trailers of this held a fair amount back. You know, I like that they didn't show us any of the old Ghostbusters in the trailers, and they let us just see it within the context of the movie. Um, so, and and oh, you know, and that last scene with Bill Murray and and Sigourney Weaver was just was just charming. I thought those those two just really have a neat offbeat chemistry together, and it's it was nice to see them even in just that one scene. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's it. Like that's just where I land on it. It had enough charm. For me to recommend it, but I will admit yeah. it's not a perfect movie, and there are faults. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, uh, you know, but I, I can forgive it a lot. Um, so, and yeah, that's uh, I'm sure that's partly nostalgia talking. Uh, you know, if I if I hadn't had the affection for the original '84 Ghostbusters, I, th- I I do think it's weird that it was basically like all '84 Ghostbusters. And hardly anything from from eighty nine Ghostbusters. Like we we didn't even have the guys in like the gray uniforms from from Ghostbusters too. Oh, uh, the Scalari brothers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did we have anything from Ghostbusters too? Like, no mention of the Statue of Liberty or or Mood Slime or nothing. nothing. It was just like you I mean, could you could essentially say that Ghostbusters two never happened in this in this universe. What happened to Janos Poha? I hey, I wouldn't mind seeing Janos. You know, Peter Nick, Peter McNichol. He's still out there. He's still working. He's like the buzzing of flies to him. Yeah, you know. I mean, is the joyfulness over for him? I don't think so. And uh, uh, yeah, I guess that's our episode, guys. That's where we land on Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, mm-hmm. Let us know what you think. Tweet at us when you can. At our at our Twitter account. At it's an Eldridge show. And uh, Kev, thank you again so much for doing this. Thank you for your your fire and passion burns bright through this whole episode. You brought the heat. I'm I'm sorry I couldn't be completely <laughs> I couldn't be completely in sync with uh, with you two, but I'm glad I was able to get this off my chest. That's no, it's it's life. cool. I think I think it was a cool conversation, and 
I think people can kind of gauge where their opinions lie relative to ours. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of people will be like, oh, yeah, Kevin. Yeah, we'd, he, rather, we'd rather you give your. Yeah. But yeah, like, I mean, we'd rather you give your honest opinion rather than just kind of, you know, uh, parrot what we say. I will always be honest with you, boys. Oh, you know, we, we, we appreciate that, sir. <laughs> Well, no, I was just going to ask Kevin if there's anything he wanted to uh, plug or anything to promote. or uh, Yes, you know, uh, please. Have at it. Check out my podcast with fellow comedian Kevin Goatee called Gutting the Sacred Cow, where each week we invite a guest to argue their case for why a beloved or financially successful movie is overrated. It's a fun take on the movie review genre that causes a lot of tumult and furor online, which we love. So check it out. New episodes every day on your podcast platform of choice, Gutting the Sacred Cow. Yeah, and I mean, you obviously know from listening to this that Kevin, he's a passionate guy. He's got a lot of opinions, and uh, he can back up those opinions. He's like, here's what I think. This is why I think this, and ba 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 And if you don't think so, you're wrong. Boom. <laughs> that sums you up well, right? Thanks, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's it. That's me. Yep. <laughs> See, I nailed you. <laughs> I got you pegged. Really broke me down to my I did, I did. But oh no, I mean this this was so much fun, and uh, yeah, we're definitely gonna have to have you back uh, when we get to uh, the Ghostbusters do, and we can we can talk about. I'd love it. Yeah, you know what what that movie did right, what that movie did wrong, you know why it's not quite as well regarded as the first one. I think that's fair to say, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, and um, yeah, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Darren Credible. That's D A R I N Credible. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Trumbull Comic. That's T R U M B U L L, and then the word comic. And again, you can follow our show page at SNL Nerds Show on Twitter. So uh, yeah, check us out there. Please do. And as always, you know, donate to our uh, Patreon at non-productive.com. Get a Patreon page. Go over there. Give us some money, why don't you? It's the holidays. Give mm. us some cash, you cheap bumps. It's all about the giving. It's all about the giving. We are, we are people in need. Yeah. So. Dire Straits. Dire Straits, yes. They are not just a band from the 80s. Yeah, we, we want the money for nothing and the chicks for free. Yeah. <laughs> Walk a life. There you go. That song from Princess Bride. That was that was Dire Straits, or at least Mark Knopfler solo. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Uh, anyway, so uh, we're going to be back next week, and we're going to be talking about the uh, new documentary all about Del Close, improv guru Del Close, who trained many of the people from Saturday Night Live, and it's a great documentary called For Mad Men Only. So. And we're going to have a uh, couple of cool guests on that episode. Yes, we're going to have uh, two friends of the show, uh, Mr. Rich Tackenberg and Dave Buckman, to uh, improv uh, fans, some improv, uh, what do you call it, aficionados, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, real cool guys, real cool. It's going to be a real cool conversation. You're going to dig it. Uh, Four Mad Men Only, Story of Del Close, documentaries on Hulu mm -hmm. right now. 
yeah, so uh, check that out on Hulu and uh, come back for uh, some more fun discussion next week. Uh, so we will uh, see you then. But until then, nerds out! This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablaoui. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.